You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church Midtown. In Ecclesiastes, we discover that a life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control will ultimately leave us empty-handed. Life isn't about what we can obtain, but about what we already have, and learning to receive it from God with gratitude. Welcome to Ecclesiastes, life as gift, not gain. Today's scripture reading is Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Indeed, I took all this to heart and explained it all. The righteous, the wise, and their works are in God's hands. People don't know whether to expect love or hate. Everything lies ahead of them. Everything is the same for everyone. There is one fate for the righteous and the wicked for the good and the bad, for the clean and the unclean, for the one who sacrifices and the one who does not sacrifice. As it is for the good, so also it is for the sinner. As it is for the one who takes an oath, so also for the one who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. There is one fate for everyone. In addition, the hearts of people are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. After that, they go to the dead. But there is hope for whoever is joined with all the living, since a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead don't know anything. There is no longer a reward for them because the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their envy have already disappeared, and there is no longer a portion for them in all that is done under the sun. Go. Eat your bread with pleasure and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and never let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife you love all the days of your fleeting life, which has been given to you under the sun all your fleeting days. For that is your portion in life and in your struggle under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do with all your strength, because there is no work planning, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, or bread to the wise, or riches to the discerning, or favor to the skillful. Rather, time and chance happen to all of them, for certainly no one knows his time, like fish caught in a cruel net, or like birds caught in a trap. So people are trapped in an evil time as it suddenly falls on them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. You guys can hear me well? We're good. Well, welcome. Welcome to this 11 a.m. service. Uh, My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, And if you are new here, we, we want you to meet God today. And in fact, we are confident that the Lord will speak to you right now through his word. Let's pray. God, thank you um, for how you move in our hearts. Thank you for how you've redeemed our lives. God, I pray that you would allow us to leave with joy today. Speak to us in the darkest places of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. 
It's been two years since the unthinkable happened. A tragedy that shook the entire country and people all over the world. On April 26th, 2019, when Thanos said, I am inevitable. And Tony Stark said, I am Iron Man. <laughs> and he saves the world and also destroys himself. And if you're familiar with Avengers Endgame, you know that like for the next 10 to 15 minutes of the movie, all it is is people crying. You see Spider-Man crying, Pepper, Pepper is crying, Captain America is pr- crying, people in the movie theater are crying. And it's like, man, how can they be so moved to shed tears because of this fictional character? And I think it's because when we are close enough to death to feel its effects, it is always shocking, always painful. And even through a movie screen, it reminds us of just how broken this world is though we condition ourselves to ignore it. Actually, the human brain will shut off any idea of our own selves dying. There's a brain researcher, and after doing an experiment that showed this very point, he says, we cannot rationally deny that we will die, but we think of it more as something that happens to other people. It's a defense mechanism because deep down in our being, we know that once we begin to consider death and life under the sun, it will start to to unravel what we believe about life. And life begins to become meaningless, an enigma, baffling, purposeless. And so we pick up here in Ecclesiastes 9, and he's considering the fact that, hey, we're all going to die. But he shows us in this passage that there is multiple ways to respond to our mortality. There's a way to respond for those who fear death and fear losing control. And there's a way to respond for those who fear God and submit to God's control. So think about your lives today. Do you fear death more than you fear God? And how do you respond to the reality of your mortality? In this text, the writer gives his reflections on two ridiculous things that happen under the sun, right? The certainty of death and the uncertainty of life. And we'll look at each of these separately and we'll, we'll, we'll consider what are the possible temptations and how is God calling us to live as those who fear him? And the first concept is this, look, death is certain. In verse three, we see this is an evil and all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to us all. Now, this same event is death. 
everyone dies. And if we dwell on that concept of life under the sun, we realize that at some point, it will be the finer chapter, the final word, the final page of our lives. Our experience, what we are experiencing right now would be limited. And death, which constantly shapes and shakes our lives, when we consider that it's coming for us, what naturally rises up in the heart of men are responses that deny the truth of the gospel. And if we don't understand the gospel, or even if just for a second, we take our our minds, our eyes off of Jesus, when we stop considering what he has done for us on the cross, we are tempted to fear death more than we fear God. And we can fall to these three temptations that we see in this section. And the first one is this, we are tempted to question God. Verse one says, but all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. The teacher said he's seen people do all of the right things, live a wise life. And in the end, they die too. And how can we say that if I am going to experience the same thing as those who don't try to live that way, how can I come to the conclusion that God loves me? How would I know if God is pleased with what I do? And I don't know if any of you have ever been experiencing suffering to the point where it causes you to question the character of God and how he feels about you. When someone so close to you hurts you or when someone you love passes away, there is a natural inkling to say, God, how is it that you are good when you allowed this to happen? The teacher is pointing out that the experience of life doesn't make sense to man. So in the face of their own mortality, they have the inability to see God rightly. And further, God has everything in his hand. He's sovereign over everything, but life seems pretty unfair. Verse 2 says, it's the same for all. Since the same thing happens to the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, the clean and the unclean, to the good one, so is the sinner. And he puts it this way in chapter 8. He says, there is a futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve, and there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say this too is futile. Why should we trust the hand of God when it seems that he brings judgment arbitrarily? And Christian, if your eyes are not seeing the entirety of God's story, then this this one hopeless reality is the only one that you would see. 
Christina tells me about her mom. And when Christina was a, uh, Christina, by the way, is my wife, this beautiful woman who's sitting right here in this front row. Um, when she was a young teenager, um, her mom was, uh, was diagnosed with, with cancer. And before that time, shortly before that time, her mom had started going back to church. She had started going back to church. And she began to think, man, if I just do everything right, if, if I can just worship God, if I just do what he says, then God will heal my mom. But after treatment, after treatment, after she fed her mom meal after meal, she still saw her mom get weaker and weaker until shortly after she passed away. And her reaction is, God, how are you good? How could you let this happen to me? How can you say that you love me? Apart from seeing life as a part of God's entire redemptive story, our lives will be rendered futile and we will not see God rightly. Beloved, don't fall into this temptation. Number two, we are tempted to engage in wickedness. Verse three says, also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. You see, people in the face of death, they live for themselves instead of living for God. People choose their own path because their life seems hopeless. And hopelessness drives the human heart mad. And we can't make sense of life because simply it, if we only consider this time under the sun, then it warps our worldview. And so we can invest in retirement funds, but not the kingdom. We seek pleasure at the cost of our families. We drink and we drink and we drink until the idea of a worthless life fades away. We seek relationships that are contrary to God's word because our desire for companionship seems more rewarding than suffering for the sake of Christ. We live like whatever is under the sun is all that there is. And beloved, I'm saying, don't fall into this temptation. The third one is this. When faced with the certainty of death and we take our eyes off the gospel, we are tempted to be apathetic. As the teacher lays out his reflection on dying, he mentions the word hope, but it seems like the least inspiring encouragement ever. Verse four, he's like, but he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And I'm like, okay, I have hope because I know I'm going to die. Like, that's encouraging. And they have no more reward, 
For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy has already perished and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. If everything that we have gone through, both good and bad, disappears and has little to no impact on the future, then apart from seeing God's whole story, why should we even care what we do? We all just die anyway. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you feel like, man, I might as well just give up because it seems that no matter how hard I try, I can never seem to succeed. It seems that I am destined to fail. None of this even matters. Beloved, don't fall to that temptation. But I think that the author means this statement genuinely. So a fair question for us, as we consider all the ways that we are tempted, how does knowing that we are going to die make things any better? And I think because the understanding death within God's grand narrative, which is creation, and then the fall. And I think we get caught up in the fall, like, man, everything is horrible. But then redemption, consummation, Jesus is coming back when we think about death. In the light of all of that, then our understanding of death should inform how we live. Why not fall into these temptations, apathy and wickedness and questioning God? Because in the certainty of death, Christ turns our lives from meaningless to meaningful. Christ turns our lives from meaningless, from heaven, to meaningful. Well, how does he do that exactly? Well, in John 10.10, 10, it says, hey, I came so that you would have life and have it abundantly. It is our understanding, our contemplation of God's story that reshapes how we view our lives. So we don't have to worry whether God loves us or not. Because while we were yet in our sin, Christ died for us. When every deed we tried to do would end up in the same fate of Adam and Eve, when he saw that we could never defeat death on our own, Christ came to the earth and lived perfectly. He put all of his good deeds in the hand of God. And then he hung on a cross and took the perfect wrath of God on himself. And Christ experienced death. And by faith, if we believe in Jesus, that perfect life becomes ours. God looks at us and he sees our righteousness. It's like an umbrella. You're walking around with your umbrella and there is God as high up as can go. And he's just pouring out wrath. 
but we have the umbrella, which is Christ's perfect life. And the wrath of God passes over us because we have been hidden in Christ. By faith in a risen Jesus, we will rise from the dead too. And when we contemplate the gospel, it changes how we view death and how we view life. But we need to see the whole, the whole story. And sometimes we need to, to zoom out. We're so focused on what's right in front of us, what's happening in our minute-to-minute -minute life, that we don't zoom out and see what has God been doing from the beginning of time to, to, to the end of eternity. What is God doing? So sometimes we need to zoom out. When I was a child, I used to go to the Boys and Girls Club, and that was like a thing. Like, I grew up in Broward County, South Florida, and like every city had a Boys and Girls Club, and each one of them had their own flavor, but they all had one thing in common. The kids were ridiculously mean. <laughs> and so going from one Boys and Girls Club to another Boys Club, was, was, it, was a, it was a difficult thing because you never knew how the children were going to receive you. Right. And so for me, I went to go spend the night at my cousin's house and he lives in Fort Lauderdale and, and he went to the to the Lauder Hill Boys and Girls Club It's this place I had never been to. And I knew one thing. Hey, I don't know what kids live there or go there. I just know that they're horrible. And so for me, I, I, I am going into these place, this place with these wild lions. And I remember I'm playing basketball in the gym and I go to uh, walk out of the gym and go into into the game room. And from the hallway, you can see the entirety of the game room and all of those little mean kids playing games. And so I'm like, man, this is the moment. I am going to go and have to interact with all of these people. And so I walk into the door. Literally, I walked into the door. Like legit, like my nose is pressed up against the glass. And I realized that it's not an open door, it's a glass door that I just walked into. And the worst thing is like, not the pain of walking into the door, it's the fact that everybody, all those mean kids on the inside of the game room are looking at exactly who just walked into the door. And as I'm sitting there with my nose pressed against the glass, I was like, man, how didn't I notice what this was? And it's because I was so focused on what was in front of me. I never zoomed out to see the entire perspective. I never zoomed out to see the whole picture, like the door handle <laughs> or the door frame. And I think we do the same thing with our lives. We're not zooming out to see God's whole story, and it feels like all we keep doing is bumping our nose up against the glass. But when we zoom out and see God's whole story, he turns our lives from meaningless to meaningful. And how does he do that? Well, one, Christ, in the midst of how you are living your life under the sun, he breaks through the clouds and our struggle with the brokenness of this world, we, we aren't alone. We can walk with Jesus. He sends his spirit as a comforter. 
He's open to you. He's saying, man, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. I will help you to see everything that's going on. It's not just what you are experiencing, but I promise that I still love you. Number two, Christ, he, he repurposes our lives. We're no longer just living just to live. But now we live for the glory of God. Your life is no longer, has never been meaningless. God saved you and his desire is that you glorify him. You have a reason to live. And three, he brings us back to the garden. So we see Adam and Eve in the garden. Their job is to, to steward everything in creation, all the resources. They have dominion over the land, over the animals. And their job is to cultivate, to build, to work, and to enjoy the gifts of God. And as the teacher reflects on death, he says, look, this is how you should live. You should live how you lived if you were back in the garden, enjoying what God has given. Verse 7 says, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved of what you do. I'm going to read that again for the Southern Baptist. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has approved of what you do. God wants us to enjoy the good gifts that he's given to us as a means of grace to us. Yeah, everyone doesn't have everything, but everyone has something that they can enjoy that was given to them by the hand of God. We can enjoy what we have on earth. It's okay. God gave it to us. No, no, no parent gets something for their child and then like secretly hopes they don't enjoy it. Right? So little Lennox, I don't, I don't, I don't cook a delicious plate of food for him, and I'm like, but don't like it. Look at what is good in your life and enjoy it. Death is certain, but keep your head up. Verse 8 says, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Look nice. Smell good. Put some lotion on your knees. Don't wear your sackcloth and ashes like you're mourning your life. Right? The, the, this picture, these clothes that he's describing, they are clothes fit for a celebration, a festival. You, you can take off your sackcloth and ashes. In the Psalms, the writer David says, he turned my lament into dancing. He removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness so that I would sing to him and not be silent. 
Lord, I will praise you forever. God desires not for us to to live defeated lives. And so what I'm asking you to do is expect joy when you wake up in the morning. God gave you a new day. Enjoy it. Death is certain, so enjoy everything. Do you have a husband or a wife? Enjoy them. Is your marriage struggling? Enjoy them. Are you currently single and thinking, dang, that's one thing on the list I cannot enjoy. But this is not an exhaustive list. Go back and read all of the words that Jesus said about his joy. Go back and read that everything that Paul has spoken about his joy. And how are they able to have so much joy without ever being married? But what they did have was friendship, intimate relationship, communion with God, communion with God's people. And God has given that to you to enjoy. And that's enough. If it was enough for Jesus, it's enough for you. The list could go on, right? All the things he's given us. Take a trip. Go do some art. Paint something, right? But whatever you do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. And what we see here is the call to live as if we fear God instead of death, but we need to live with a sense of urgency. Do it right now. Go enjoy right now. Go, go enjoy. Whatever your hands find to do, this should be freeing to us. There's a lot of people who live their lives like, unless the audible voice of God tells me what cereal to choose, I will not eat. (laughs) But God has already approved of what you do, right? He's given us his word that, that lays out what's in and out of bounds. And he's saying what your hands find to do, go ahead and do it with everything you got. But listen, death is coming so quickly Don't delay. Someone may be in here who has a nonprofit in their head, but they're too afraid to put their hands to the plow. There's a guy in this room somewhere that's thinking about a girl like seven seats away, and they're like, oh, I I don't think I'm ready to pursue her yet. And I'm like, man, you know what? Death is coming. Do it with a sense of urgency because death is certain. But the other observation that the teacher makes is that life is uncertain. Verse 12 says, for man does not know his time. 
like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. They're just minding their own business. These, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm out here being a fish. And then boom, oh, I didn't even see that net, right? It suddenly falls upon them. And I think we all know the, to some extent, the pain of sudden death. It, it hits differently. When we are aware of the certain calamity, but the uncertainty of when it will happen, the temptation is this. I can defeat all catastrophe with my bare hands. I can wrestle security down and put it in a headlock, right? We feel like we can, we can stave off every bad thing that can happen by just working hard enough, just by being the best. Verse 11 says, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance, time and happenings happen to them all. And there is nothing that we can do about it. It's like, man, what do you mean? Like the strongest person doesn't win. The math in a, in a fallen world doesn't add up. It's like if I was at a vending machine and I'm like, man, I am craving a Mountain Dew. Like honest moment right now, I would die for a Mountain Dew. Um, but I'm craving this Mountain Dew, and I go and I hit that Mountain Dew button, boom, I put my money in already. I hear, you know how you hear the, the, uh, the, the, um, the soda fall down, it's like doo 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 right? You're like, oh, great, and then you pull it out and it's an Almond Joy. You're like, what? This is the worst candy alive. Why, why'd you do this to me? <laughs> Sometimes what you put in is not what you get out of life. It doesn't work that way. And actually, as we live life, we start to realize security does not exist. Security does not exist. Catastrophe can happen to anyone, and it can happen suddenly. Don't fall into this temptation. Because Christ turns our lives from meaningless to meaningful. And still, life is uncertain. Enjoying God's good gifts doesn't stop the bread from running out. It doesn't stop the wine from drying up. It doesn't stop your wife from dying or your husband from leaving you. So where is the hope then? But the gospel says that Christ doesn't just redeem our present, but he gives us a place beyond the sun. He purchases for us a future. 
He promised a future joy and hope, and this happens after death. After death is when the party starts. There is so much more to come after death. Psalm 16, where it says, in his presence is fullness of joy. In his right hand are pleasures forevermore. See again in Revelation 7. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, these angels. Serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne, excuse me, these believers, he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And they shall hunger no more. They shall thirst no more. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye after death. So if you don't get a long time to enjoy what God is on this earth right now, you don't have to be concerned that catastrophe is coming. Because even when we die, our rewards are still intact. God has given us a hope that lasts well beyond the grave. And actually, these joys that we have on earth, what they do is that they foreshadow for us this future. Looking back on verse 7, 8 and 9, we see bread, right? we see food, we see wine, we see white clothes, and we see a bride. And it reminds us of a future wedding where Christ will meet us after we've been waiting. And we can sing like the angels in Revelation 19, where it says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. I know it was questionable, but we actually make it, right? The bride has made herself ready. She's put on the fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. These same righteous deeds that were in the hand of God when we didn't know if he loved us or not. These same righteous deeds are right there with us at redemption as we are enjoying this feast with our Lord Jesus. Concerning the uncertainty of life, Christ still turns our life from meaningless to meaningful. And if you would allow me, I just want to give some quick, quick reflections. I'll give you four very quick exhortations, and then we'll wrap up. The first one, seek for your joy to always be rooted in Jesus and not the things of this world, right? The caveat to enjoying everything that God has given is that we do it to the glory of God, but we don't make it God. We do it as an act of worship, but we don't worship it. Regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in, this is point number two, give thanks to God 
Yeah, there are lots of things to lament over, but give, give thanks. Be grateful. Right? You are in this seat today with clothes on your back. Praise God. Number three, seek the giver of these good gifts. Jesus invites you into a relationship, a personal relationship with himself. You can, you can be with him, the giver of the gifts. Seek him. And last, trust the hand of God. I woke up this morning and my alarm went off, or my alarm went off and I woke up this morning. <laughs> and my alarm is set to the, to the radio, right? And so it, the radio just pops on and so I wake up, boom, and what they're talking about is coronavirus statistics. And I'm like, I wake up to this. I'm like, not again, I can't do, I'm spiraling. It's very quick, like seven seconds in and I'm, I'm, I'm spiraling. And then I remember, I remember this text. And I'm like, but, but everything is in the hand of God. And God loves me. And God is good. And he is in control. I don't have anything to worry about. Trust in the hand of God that all things will work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose for those who love him. Let me close with this. Death is only here because of our sin. It's not because God isn't good. We cause our own deaths. And when we see death, let it remind us of the seriousness of sin. You can't live your life any kind of way. Let it remind you of the holiness of God. It's a warning that if we do not trust in Christ, if we do not trust in Christ, we will die and die again, this time experiencing God's judgment forever. When we see death, let it also remind us of just how special the gospel is. That Jesus experienced death so that we can live. Yeah, death is certain and life is uncertain, but Christ has turned our lives from meaningless to meaningful. So consider the entire picture of God's story from creation to consummation. He is coming back for us, beloved. And so live that way right now. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.